One of my favorite websites at the moment is the Babylon Bee. And I don't know if you have seen the Babylon Bee or not. It's kind of a, uh, it's a satirical website. It's the Christian version of the Onion, if you're familiar with that website. One of the recent headlines on the Babylon Bee was motion-activated lights turn off during Presbyterian worship service. Y'all can't even laugh. Like, it's, like it's so true. That was really funny. <laughs> You're proving their point. Uh, earlier this year, earlier this year, uh, they they had a they caught a little bit of flack for their article related to the death of a, a certain prosperity gospel teacher. And this is what they wrote in the article. As the nation mourns the sudden and unexpected loss, various baffled prosperity gospel preachers have begun offering theories on how she could possibly have passed away. Given her overabundance of faith, her supernatural ability to name and claim health and wealth at will, and her decades of collecting donations while promising that God's will is for everybody to be wealthy and healthy. They caught a little flack about that. Perhaps the timing was not very good, but I, I think it's a critique the Apostle Paul probably would approve of if you've read the opening to Galatians, because the prosperity gospel is not the gospel. Uh, listening to prosperity gospel teachers, however, you get the impression uh, that 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 Jesus never said you can't serve two masters, God and money. Uh, in fact, you get the impression that they're actually using Jesus to serve their real masters of God and money. They're an easy target. They're an easy target. But look, it's, it's very easy for us to, to critique someone else while we use what we feel like is our better theology and hide behind that while we have hearts that are very similar to theirs. Where we profess, oh, it's, it's all about Jesus while our hearts are also consumed with the pursuit of wealth and comfort and ease. Uh, and that, I think, is, is revealed at times when we honestly look at the ways in which we spend our money. Money is a, it's a pseudo-savior. It's one of those places we look to, instead of looking to Jesus for deliverance, trying to find deliverance from the brokenness of this world. And while money can be a great blessing... It can't bear the weight of being a savior. In fact, it can blind us to our need for a real savior. So today we're going to look about this. We're going to look at this text, which is about a rich young ruler. And I want us to, to think about the ways in which we search for saviors, uh, the false saviors we pursue that blind us, and then finally the real savior that we need. So look at this text with me. This is God's word from Mark chapter ten. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. We pray for us. So Father, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning, uh, that you would help us to see perhaps those ways we are relying on saviors that are not saviors. Uh, would you help us to see our need for Christ uh, and to cast our weight on him. We pray it in his name. Amen. So three things, our search for a Savior, the false saviors that blind us, and then the real Savior that we need. First of all, our search for a Savior. The text tells us that this man came up to Jesus to ask him a question. Matthew tells, the Gospel of Matthew tells us he was a young man. The Gospel of Luke tells us that he was a ruler, and so he has become known as the rich young ruler. He was probably a high-ranking official. In the local synagogue, he was the kind of guy that you would want your your daughter to marry. He was probably smart and good-looking and talented and gifted and successful. He was sincere. He's what we would call a good guy. This this is just a good guy trying to do the right thing. And he runs up to Jesus. He's eager to ask him this question. You can imagine, maybe you've gone to a Christian conference and one of your favorite pastors or speakers has presented something and you're waiting in line and you're running up to him and you've got this burning question that you want to ask this speaker. And so the young man runs up, he's out of breath, he drops to his knees before Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to get eternal life? What what did he want? He wants to experience everlasting life. He wants to know what comes beyond the grave is going to be a good thing for him. He wants some assurance about it right now. The religious authorities of his day, if he had asked them this question, would have said, well, you need to obey God and avoid sin and be good, and then hopefully you will inherit eternal life. And so he wants to hear what Jesus has to say about the answer to this question. He wants to find out what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And he wants to go do it. Now, you may not have vocalized that question ever in that way. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe you hadn't even thought a whole lot about what comes after the grave. You haven't concerned yourself with that yet. 
But I'd say that whether you've thought about that or not, we've all tried to answer this question because we're all trying to find a way to escape from the brokenness that's in our world. We're trying to find a way of life, a way of salvation, a, a, a path to, to peace and, and comfort with our lives, a, a way to escape from death or at least to, to shield ourselves from death for a little while. Uh, Steve Jobs of of Apple Computer fame in his commencement address at Stanford in 2005 said this, No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the result of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice, heart, and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Uh, Jobs, in that quote, he seems to embrace death. It's, It's life's way to bring out better versions of people like like iOS 11 like there's just a new version of, of people coming along he doesn't seem to be giving any real thought to life beyond the grave but at the same time he is pursuing a way of salvation he is pursuing a way to find life listen to what he says follow your own heart follow your own voice Follow your own intuition. It sounds like a Disney movie, kind of. Just just follow your heart. They know what you want to become. Just follow that and find life and maybe buy an iPad along the way and it'll help things get better. That's where you find life. But notice in that you, your Savior is you. And your only hope for life is following your voice and your heart and your intuition. The secular Savior is you. It's just you turning in on yourself. But there's also a a southern religious version of following your own heart. It's following your own heart while you jump through the Jesus hoops that everybody expects you to jump through. I, I prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into my heart. Okay, check. I go to church. Check. I'm trying to be good. Check. Well, my heart is really very far from Jesus and I'm following something else entirely i profess jesus sure i'm a christian everybody in south carolina is a christian aren't they well i'm constantly looking to other saviors to find life to find life to find meaning i've got my jesus insurance policy but i'm constantly looking to something else to find life and significance and joy and meaning i say i've got eternal life in jesus yeah But my actions betray that I'm really trying to find life somewhere else. Uh, One of my my favorite Justin Timberlake songs at the the moment uh, is is about about him trying to get over this painful breakup. And he says, I've tried Jack, I've tried Jim, I've tried all of their friends. And what's he saying? "I'm, I'm trying to use alcohol to get over this breakup to save me from this pain and this brokenness that I feel. And we can all kind of relate to that. 
Alright, we get that. We've turned to alcohol. We've turned to, to binging on Netflix. We've turned to the, to the big idols of sex and money and power and success. We may not have asked, vocalized that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But we find ourselves trying to do something. We, trying to, we find ourselves trying to find an experience that will bring a measure of life into the brokenness of our worlds. But our false saviors are never really life-giving. In fact, they have this way of keeping us from seeing the Savior that we really need. Which leads us to our second point. I want us to look specifically at a couple of false saviors that blind us and keep us from seeing the Savior that we actually need. The rich young ruler had two of these. He had two false saviors that were keeping him from Jesus. One of them was his own perceived goodness. And the second one was his wealth. His goodness and his wealth. And you can see this in the way that Jesus responds to his question. Look at verse 18. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. And Jesus goes through some of these commandments. And the, the guy says to him, Teacher, I've, I've kept all of these from my youth. Jesus says to him, Alright, let's start here. Why do you call me good teacher? If you think I'm just a teacher, why are you calling me good? And if I am really good, then who do you think I am? And what is true goodness anyway? Do you really understand what you're saying when you call somebody good? I mean, think about it, y'all this week. How many times have we said, he's, he's just a good guy. She's just, she's just a good, world, good girl. They're, they're just quality. What does that really mean when we say somebody's a, a good person? Uh, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, look, if you agree with me that truly only God is good, what are the consequences of that for you? If only God is good, where does that leave you? Can, can you really claim to be good? And if you admit that you aren't, that only God is good, where does that leave you? Where does that leave you? What does that mean? Jesus presses him. He points him to the law of God. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. All of these commandments. Hey, rich young ruler, how did you get your wealth? Did you ever step on anybody to get any of that? Did you steal from from anybody to get any of that? Uh, he's, He's pushing the rich young ruler back to the Ten Commandments, to the second half of the Ten Commandments, which are meant to show us what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he's asking him, have you really loved your neighbor as yourself? And I, I would ask us that question. Have we, can we really say that we've loved our neighbor as ourselves? Um, kids, have you, have you really loved your brothers and your sisters as yourself? Do you, do you love them as much as you love yourself? This guy is asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is to turn around and ask him a question. And he's basically saying, have you kept the law? Have you kept the law? Because all the teachers are telling you 
That's how you go to heaven. You be good, you keep the law. Alright, have you really been good? Have you really kept the law? And what Jesus wants this man to see is that he's not good, he hasn't been good, and he can't be good. But he's blinded by his own morality. And you can hear that in his response. I have kept all these from my youth. Oh, that's it? That's what? Okay. That doesn't seem that hard. I've done that. I've kept these commandments from my youth. And what he shows is that he doesn't know himself very well. He doesn't know what the commandments are actually requiring of him. Adultery is not just an action, it's a thought. Murder is not just killing someone. It's, it's our harmful attitudes, it's our hateful attitudes and, and wanting to hurt another person. False testimony is not just lying, it's withholding the truth when it needs to be spoken. The young man thinks he's done all the right things. If he lived today, he probably would have even walked the aisle two or three times. Because he's like, oh, that's what I need to do. I need to walk down there and receive Jesus and then be good. And he's completely relying on what he has done and what he is able to do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus says, okay, let me press you a little bit harder then. He says to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Now, this is an interesting statement. What's Jesus doing here? Is he teaching salvation by poverty? Uh, no, there are, there are other wealthy people in the Bible who didn't, weren't asked to, to give everything away like this. What's he saying to him? What's he trying to get him to see? I think Jesus is saying to this young man, You've got to see that you're building your life on something other than God. Or, or to put it another way, <clears throat> you think you're keeping the second half of the law. You think you're loving your neighbor, but you're not loving your neighbor because you're more concerned with your own wealth than you are with using your wealth to meet the needs of your neighbor. And you're not keeping the first half of the law, the first four commandments, which are about loving God, because what you really love is your money. That's, where, that's what your religion is. That's where you're looking to find life. That's your Savior. Will you let go of that Savior, that false Savior, and grab hold of me? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's, he's pinpointing a specific idol in the rich young ruler's heart. He's pinpointing what he's really holding on to. He's pinpointing what he's actually worshiping. And he's saying, don't you see? You're not good. You haven't kept the law. You haven't loved God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The only thing you really love like that is your money. The only thing you've loved like that is your money. And and, and the young man, what needs to happen is he needs to have this light bulb coming on moment where he goes... I get it. I'm not good. I, I haven't kept all these commandments. I've been hearing them my whole life, but I've only just scratched the surface of what they're really requiring of me. I'm, I'm selfish and I pursue treasure on earth and I'm torn between money and God and I keep running after money instead of God. I can't do anything to inherit eternal life. God, would you help me? Would you save me? Uh, for all his talk... 
about eternal life and wanting it. The reality is the rich young ruler isn't ready to give up on his idols because his idols are too precious to him. He thinks his wealth is the source of his life, and so he can't let his wealth go. And so we read here that he was disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And so he walks away. Now, I want you to listen to what Jesus says in response to this to his disciples. Verse 23, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And, you know, I think you could say today how difficult it will be for Americans to enter the kingdom of God. Because 98% of us, we're the the wealthiest people in the world. Uh, And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler is blinded by his own morality. And so he can't see his need for a savior. But he's also blinded to his own love of money and how he's clinging to money as a savior. Uh, It's really hard. It is really hard to see when we're clinging to money. Uh, There's a lot of other sins that are much more obvious. But it's really hard for us to see the ways in which we cling to our wealth. Jesus, probably because of this, warns of the dangers of greed much more often than he warns of the dangers of sex, which we think of as like, hey, that's one of the big trouble spots. Jesus is is constantly warning people about greed. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He said he was teaching a Bible study on the seven deadly sins, and his wife Kathy said to him, I bet the week that you talk about greed that nobody's going to show up. Because nobody thinks they have a problem with greed. And he said she was right. It was the lowest attendance of the whole Bible study. He goes on to say that he's had people come to him and confess everything, unimaginable sins. But he says, I can never remember anybody ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. But nobody ever comes and confesses that they have a problem with with greed or with holding on to their money. And he argues that one of the reasons we have a hard time seeing this is because we all kind of inhabit our own socioeconomic bracket and we compare ourselves to the other people in our bracket instead of people throughout the world. And we look at the other people in our own little bracket and it's like, well, I don't, I'm not, don't have as much problem as, as they do. I'm not spending crazy amounts of money. I'm really no different from them. The love of money is dangerous because it's so hard to see. It's really hard to see. But it's also dangerous because like morality, it blinds us to our own neediness. It blinds us to our own neediness. I think it's very telling that this story comes right after the story where Jesus' disciples come to him. Jesus tells him that to enter the kingdom of God, you have to enter the kingdom of God like a little child. If you're going to get into the kingdom of God, you have to enter it like a little child. You have to come needy and helpless and with nothing to offer and to receive it as a gift. 
And it's really hard to come needy and helpless and with nothing to offer if you're wealthy. If you've worked for everything. If you've earned every single penny that you made. Surely, it's within my power to do something so that I can inherit eternal life. Surely I can take care of this. I've taken care of everything else. We have a hard time seeing when we've made money an idol. And both our morality and our money can keep us from seeing how much we need Jesus. So how do we find, and if that's true, how do we find the Savior we need? How do we have eternal life? How do wealthy Americans enter the kingdom of God? The disciples are baffled, honestly. They're like, wait, what? rich people can't get in? Because they saw being rich as a sign of God's blessing. And if, if they can't get in, then what about the rest of us? Who can be saved? Is it possible for anybody? And Jesus looks at them in verse 27 and says, With man it is impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. With, with, with man, it is impossible. You talk about a, a humbling statement. It's, it's not possible. But with God, it is. If, if you're well off and things are going well, and you're taking care of business, and you got some money saved up, and you're fairly moral compared to the people around you, and you find you can see some people who are at least worse than you in your mind, it's very hard to see your own spiritual need, your need for God. Uh, riches in particular give us this illusion that we control and shape our world. It's hard to let go of money and everything it provides for us. In fact, it's impossible. It's impossible. God has to do it. God has to change your heart so that you and I can see our idolatry and our need for a Savior. He has to change our hearts so that Jesus is more appealing to us and what Jesus offers to us is more appealing to us than what money can give us. You can't truly grab hold of God. God has to grab hold of you. God has to grab hold of you. Uh, Humanly speaking, I think sometimes we have to kind of run through all the false saviors we can find before we see our need for a true savior. To to go back to the Timberlake song, I've tried Jack, I've tried Jim, I've tried all of their friends. I can't drink you away, he goes on to say. I can't drink you away. And think about that in in terms of our relationship with God. The human heart is made to know God. It's made to know God, and you can't drink away that ache for God. Money can't, sex can't, success can't, power, none of that can fill the void. None of those idols will give themselves for you. They'll just keep demanding more and more and more and more. Wouldn't you rather have a Savior who gives himself for you? Wouldn't you rather have a Savior who looks at you and loves you. Wouldn't you rather have a Savior who died so that you can live? Wouldn't you rather have a Savior who disagrees adamantly with Steve Jobs and says that death, death isn't life's change agent. It isn't a great thing to sweep your obsolete self out so that we can bring in a better model next year. Jesus says death is the enemy and I've actually come to defeat it. 
I left my home, I left my riches to come for you and to give up my life, to hang up, to hang on a cross for you. I came to become poor for you. I gave away my wealth for you. Now give away your wealth and turn your back on yourself and follow me. And that road's not going to be easy, he says, but he also promises I'll provide more than enough in this life to make it worth it. And in the end, you'll find eternal life. Isn't that, isn't he a better Savior? Let me pray for us. God, it is impossible for us to turn our backs on our idols. So I, I pray that you would work, that you would supernaturally open our eyes, that we would see those things that we cling to instead of Jesus, that we would see those things that are really ways we're trying to find life, and that we would turn to Jesus and find life in him. Would you make him attractive to us and beautiful to us and desirable to us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.